We are on the exciting chapter of, can anybody guess, after I already said what it was? Man, you guys are awesome. That's right, confession of sin. And what we've been seeing is, at least when I went through my notes originally, that the theme that kind of popped out at me, the importance of confession of sin, is the issue of having a clean esophagus. No, you're okay. A clean heart is the issue uh, that's going on there. Anybody uh, appreciate having a clean heart, right? Anybody? Isn't that funny how we, we appreciate a clean heart, a great heart, a heart that works properly physically? Okay, but do, are we eager about that? I mean, we'll take vitamins, you know, we'll do all that stuff. We'll listen to the doctors. I better eat oatmeal because they said that lowers my cholesterol, which is good for my heart. I'll s- eat that stuff that's like sand all squished out in these little micro circles. And you put water on it and it blows up and I'll do that because I've got to have that that heart that works properly. But are we that strenuous? Are we that dedicated when it comes to having a clean heart with God? Okay, and then what we saw is the confession of sin. I really believe it's a a dual issue. It is certainly with a clean heart with God. I think we get that, right? We want to have a clean heart with God. We want to make sure that there's nothing uh, in between messing up our fellowship with him. But as we're also seeing, it's also with man, with each other. Now, this is the one where I really think we play those funny little reindeer games, okay, unfortunately. Uh, And that's what I really think affects. Now, hopefully tonight you'll see, unfortunately, we'll say, yes, I get this part about confession of sin. It's, It's appropriate. I need that in my walk with God. But we'll play games with this one and act like it's no big deal. But if we get that far and finish the study, you're going to see that if you mess up with this one, guess what? It's going to mess up your walk with God. You don't escape from it, okay? It's that important, guys, that we have to confess our sins. We have to, now listen, the theme of confession of sin is what? What are we seeking from God? What are we seeking from other people when we confess our sin? Forgiveness. So the other issue that's really going on here too is when we're talking about confession of sin, we are seeking out forgiveness. Okay? That keeps it clean. That keeps it flowing. If you and a husband and a wife and you had one of those intense moments of fellowship, okay, do you just let it go on? or No, you work it out. You confess. You talk about it. You deal with it. And then what? It goes away. It should unless you get historical uh, not, instead of, you know, I remember three months ago, you know, you don't, that's not what you're supposed to do. Okay, you're supposed to move on. And that's what we need to do with each other, uh, even more so as the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's continue on. We've already seen what is confession all about. What happens when I sin? We talked about last time, what is confession? And I believe, I think, I'm guessing, I'm confessing that I'm guessing, because I forgot to note, uh, that we're there kind of sort of in the middle of the page on page 80, where it says John's discussion of fellowship and confession. Tom, praise God. Thank you. Thumbs up, bro. That's cool. First uh, John 1, verse 1 through 9. This is an amazing uh, passage. Here's what he says. And this is the whole theme that we're trying to accomplish, okay? He said, what was from the beginning there, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, handled. How I many would say that's pretty secure? Okay, it wasn't just some rumor. Okay, concerning the word of life, Jesus Christ, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that also may have fellowship. Now remember, translate, if you will, that word fellowship. Let me break it down for you, because that's kind of a Christianese word, isn't it? Fellowship. Let's go have fellowship. That's great. How do you do that? Okay, so let's do uh, intimacy, I think is uh, easier, I would say, for us to understand. Translate that in your brain when you see that, intimacy. We want to have fellowship with God, it's intimacy. 
with God, okay? And he says, we have also may have fellowship or intimacy with us. Indeed, our fellowship or intimacy is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that you might be absolutely tortured and, and, and to death because nobody likes to be confronted with sin. And don't you know that if you're going to have a successful walk with Jesus, don't upset the card, don't say nothing, don't point out anything wrong so that your joy may be complete. Oh, no, 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 no. Why do we need to do this? So that your joy may be complete is what he says there. And this is the message we heard from him, okay, and announced to you. God is what? Light. Light. Okay, what is sin? It's the opposite of that. Uh, yucky darkness, okay? And he says this, and in him, God, there is no darkness, i.e. sin at all. Now, here's the thing that we need to point out to you that we're writing to you, that we beheld, that our hands held, that our eyes saw, Okay, we confronted him in person, and he's not just light, but here's what he says. This is what's amazing. And he says, now listen, because you need to understand this, because how many guys would like to have more joy? How many guys would like to have your joy complete? Woo, yeah. Now pay attention. That's your lead in there. Okay, here's what he says. He says, if we say, therefore, then God is light, and him is no darkness at all. If we say, Christian, we have fellowship, i.e. intimacy with him, God, and yet walk in darkness... What, what, what's the problem there? We lie and we do not practice the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. Okay. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship, intimacy with, listen, it's not just God, but with who? One another. You mean to tell me if Christians individually follow Jesus Christ, i.e. walk in the light, i.e. do what he says, then it's going to improve our relationship with one another as Christians? What an interesting concept. We should talk about that sometime. And that's what he says. He says, uh, he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, here's the great news, all sin, okay, is the issue. If we say we have no sin, we are what? We're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet, here's, flip it around, though. If we would just what? Confess our sins. He, God, Jesus, is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins, and to not just forgive us, but what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, now again, it's 100% cleansing. I, I, I've shared the analogy before, I, I believe in the past. I like the guy, the story. He says, you know, he said, uh, I was always as a non-Christian before I got saved. He says, I was afraid of going to heaven. And people would say, afraid of going to heaven? I mean, you should be afraid of going to hell. He says, no. He says, if I went to hell, he said, I, I figured at least they'd accept me there. You know, because I've blown it and I'm having to live a perfect life. He says, but heaven. I had this conception of, of heaven that I'm going to get to heaven and, and God's going to pull down this big old screen like that white one back there. And then he's going to play my every sin that I've ever done it, it, right there in front of me in all of heaven. And, and, and my mother's going to be there. Okay? And that's what he makes his great news. He says, according to the Bible, he's talking about a positional truth. He says, listen, I don't know if God's got a tape on us or I don't know if God's got a tape on you. He does. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. But he says, here's the good news. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has erased your tape. Amen. Yeah, thank you to save people. I'll say that again. Jesus has erased your tape. 
Yeah, praise God. I mean, that's what's awesome, right? It's a complete deal, okay? And that's what we're going to get into when we talk about confession of sin. It does not affect our position with God because the tape's been erased. Praise God. It affects our relationship, i.e. our intimacy with God as we walk with Him day by day. Do you get it? Our salvation is not in jeopardy, but the intimacy in our walk with Jesus can be affected if we just let the stuff pile up. You got it? need to clarify that because people get that unfortunate wrong. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him, God, out to be a liar. Oops, that's a sin, isn't it? in itself, and his word is not in us. Now, what I want to see a little bit tonight is this is, a, you know, he's quoting 1 John. 1 John is a great book. I've always wanted to do a great uh, expository of that book, five chapters, I believe, and there's so much going on with 1 John, and this is one element, but if you look through 1 John, all five chapters, okay, he talks about the true and the false conversions, Okay? And you get, it's very convicting. And he, he minces no words. Obviously, this is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? And so he gives indications. How do you know? We're, we're not saved by our works, right? But by nature of being a, a Christian, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit who begins to produce holiness as we learn to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit, i.e. walk in the light is the verbs, verbiage John uses. And so your life's going to change. Now, everybody grows at different rates. You can't say, well, you're not because you're not where I am. Everybody's different. It's like kids are different, grow at different rates, whatever, okay? But there should be some sort of change, something. You have to, because by nature, you have been changed if you're born again. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've become the temple, right? Therefore, he says, and I'm going to read them to you there just to break it down. There's some signs to indicate that it was real. Because did you know the Bible says there's a lot of people who make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not saved. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the fruit inspector per se, Although Jesus did say you're going to know them by their fruit. Okay, but I don't ultimately, intimately know somebody's heart. Okay, but the problem is there's uh, the passages over and over talk about Jesus said just one in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we what? Never go to church services and we never did anything religious. We never helped nobody. No, what did those people say? Oh, didn't we, didn't we do these great miracles? Didn't we uh, for, uh, cast out demons? And, uh, didn't we do all this great stuff? You know, that's, if you will, to break it down, vernacular, that's church stuff. So what's he saying there? He said, and I will tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Not I knew you once and you lost your salvation. I never knew you in the first place. So these are people, that's just one passage who make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They might even do Christian stuff, but only God knows the heart. And this is what John cuts to the quick. He says, if you fall in this category, I'm getting ready to read it. Bare minimum, I'll say, red flag. I don't know your heart. Okay? I do know you can flip it around. You, you look at, if, if God were to show a tape of our lives, mine included, and take, since the time we've been born again, as true born again Christians, and if he takes a five-minute slice of that, uh, it, it's one, in one of those times when we're sinning, we could look like the biggest pagan on the planet. So before we get this, you know, self-righteous attitude, no, you're, be careful. And that's why I always say, listen, I don't know the heart. I do know what the scripture teaches. There's a bunch of people who profess to know Jesus and they're on the wide road that leads to destruction. The road that leads to life, only a few. There's few and many. The many are the ones who are going to hell. I didn't say that, Jesus did, okay? So anyway, so listen to what John says, and what I, I said all that to get to this. Believe it or not, 
how you handle this issue here, confession of sin between God and man, is in this category. And if you don't do it, uh-oh, that's not good. That's, that's your first red flag. Let me read to you that very quickly. Uh, indications of true salvation according to 1 John. 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sin, that's what it's talking about, right? If you keep God's commandments, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, we're not saved by works, but again, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep it. He didn't say you got to do it so you can maintain your salvation. None at all, no. If you love your brother, that's an indication, okay? 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4. If you love, period. Now, notice love your brother. That's fellow Christians, if you love, period, 1 John chapter 3 uh, and 1 John chapter 4. If you do the will of God, 1 John chapter 2. If you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, okay, 1 John chapter 2, 4, and 5. If you practice righteousness, okay, uh, 1 John 2 and 3. If you do not practice sin, now notice the word practice. That means as a way of life. It doesn't mean you'll never sin. Or does it, and the other one doesn't mean you're always doing nothing but righteous deeds. But as a way of life, that's what you're striving for or striving against is what he's talking about there, accepts the apostles' teaching, i.e., can I translate that for you? The word of God. That you're not, you're not saying, well, forget it. I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? If you are consistently resistant in the word of God, something's wrong there. But it's an indication of true salvation if you submit under the authority of God's word, 1 John 4, 6. Has the Holy Spirit, right? Paul says this, I believe in Romans chapter 8. He says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ in you, i.e., the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ, Right? Because when you're born again, you're saved, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, overcomes the world, okay? And uh, not saying that we can't get entrenched in the world, but by and large, you're not living for this world. You're an overcomer. Now, here is what he says are, that's all the true categories. You're doing that? That's a good indication. Praise God. That was a true confession. Man, you're born again Christian, not saying you're perfect. Okay, but man, that's a good sign, right? That's what this whole book is about, First John. Now, listen to what he says. is like, uh-oh, red flag city. Listen to what he says. If you say, 1 John 1, 6, that I have fellowship with him, intimacy with God, and walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. If you say, 1 John 1, 8, I have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If you say, 1 John 10, I have not sinned, you are a liar and God's word is not in you. If you say, I know him, but you do not keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. If you say, first, that was 1 John 2, 4, this is 1 John 2, 6. If you say, I abide in him, okay, then you ought to walk as he walked. In other words, show it, okay? And he says, if you say, I am in the light, but you hate, listen, if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. And finally, he says, 1 John, that was 1 John 2, 9, 1 John 4, 20. If you say, I love God but you hate your brother, you are a liar. So listen to that. If you say you got fellowship with God, uh, but you continue to walk in darkness, if you say, I have no sin, I have not sinned, or if you, and, and yet you continue to sin, uh, if you say, I know God, I abide in God, I am in, in the light, but you do not keep his commandments, you continue to sin without disregard of anything, and you continue to hate brothers, man, that's not a good thing. Okay, and so that's what I wanted to, to, to it's, it's a stinger of a deal, but that's what the whole book is about, okay? And that's what I wanted to get is this issue. Man, I'm telling you, this confession of sin thing, it, it's not just important with our walk with God, it's important with our fellow man, which will, if you continue to not do that, it'll affect your walk with God. You still can't get away from it. But again, 
if you're really a true born-again Christian, how, how can you not confess sin? Sin should bother us. It, 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 should, it should tear our hearts apart. Yes, we can get callous. Yes, we can get into a ditch. But something's wrong. Okay, red flag. I don't know the heart. But that's the seriousness of this confession of sin. And that's according to John. I'm not making this up. I'm just quoting the Bible. Okay, but let's continue on. He, in John's discussion, he states, if we confess our sins, that's your next point there, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive, is your next blank there, us, our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? John stated earlier that the reason these things are written to us is so that what? So I can feel really horrible. Pastor Billy, won't you please crack a joke? That was really heavy duty, man. I'm feeling low. No, no, it's so our joy can be complete. You get that clean heart back. You, you confess that sin between God and man. It's not just showing, hey, praise God, a true born again Christian. That's exactly what you expect them to do because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. But your joy, wow, wouldn't you like to have more joy? Then deal with this, okay? And that's what he says, so our joy may be complete. The Greek word used in 1 John 1, 9 translates confess, in our English Bible is homologeo, okay? Made up of two words, hama, which means same. Legeo, word, so same word, okay, is what it means there. And that's what he says. To say the same thing, that's your blank there, say, to say the same thing, to agree, to admit, to concede, or to confess. Do you get it? Now, the great word there, I think, is pretty blunt because when we're confessing our sin, are we telling God something he doesn't already know? No, he already knows. So we're really, in essence, when we confess, we're saying the same thing that he already knows. But notice we're saying the same thing that he feels about it and he says about it. It's wrong. We are not rationalizing it away. We're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to excuse it. We're not trying to blame other people for it. We're not trying to downplay it like it's no big deal. Confession of sin is saying, yes, God, that was wrong. Yes, God, would you please forgive me for offending you with my sin? Jesus, oh, please forgive me. And then if it affected another person, you got to go to that person, okay? It's what he's talking about there. You say the same thing about it as uh, uh, our sin, as God does, that it's a violation of his principles, okay? And the reason why we need to do that is because every single one of God's principles are really horrible for us. No, I've said it before, I'll say it again to belabor the point. Repetition increases remembrance. Name one commandment in the scripture that's bad for us. Zero is the correct answer. They're all for our good, right? Every single thing that God tells us to do is for our good, our joy, woo, yeah, including confessing sin. Yeah, thank you, God, for telling me how to get more joy, right? You should do that. Celebrate, woo, yeah, and laugh and giggle like that, too. But anyway, let's continue on. Confession also includes forsaking that sin and turning from it. But what about that sin that we confessed and forsake him and we fall into it again down the road? Well, here's a special tip. How about take another road? That's just uh, food for thought. You won't find that on the back of the Cheerios box. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, can we really say we confess that sin? Okay, now that's a good one because sometimes it, we do get what's called besetting sins or sins that kind of, you know, we get in that little rut thing. I'm not condoning it. Nobody's condoning that, obviously. But that happens, doesn't it? So what do you do? Have you ever played that little game? Well, maybe I didn't mean it. 
I said, I thought I repented, but why did I go back into it? Okay, so here's what he says. Charles Ryrie, Dr. Charles Ryrie states the following. True confession must include sorrow for sin and turning from it, but true confession does not guarantee even that particular sin will uh, be committed again. If it is, then listen to this. Underline this. Put those fireworks around this baby. Okay, listen. Then it must be... That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Man, do we cloud that one or what? And this is where we talked, I believe, a little bit last time. This is exactly where I think the enemy gets us. Okay, because if you do do that sin again, and then you confess it again, you say, well, I don't really mean it. Or he gets you to think that, well, now God can't use you because now you're stuck in that thing. Or well, you, have you ever played that game? I want to share with you a story tonight uh, from an author, and he gives a good analogy. And he talks about that if, if you confess that sin, we left off last time, stop calling God a liar. If you confess the sin, the Bible says he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the one who chooses to remember our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, he's forgotten about it. But the enemy always brings it back up, doesn't he? But we stop listening to his lies, stand on God's words, and listen, confess it. Now listen, move. That's a good cow word, isn't it? Move. <laughs> move forward. Get up. Keep moving again. Keep serving again. Yeah, but I can't. I just did that. Did you confess it? Yeah. Get up. Keep serving again. Get, are you, we ain't got time for this. There's too much work to do. There's too many souls to be saved. There's a lot of stuff we need to do. Are you kidding me? Get back up and keep serving Jesus Christ. Listen to what God says. Okay? Don't let him trick you. Listen, here's this guy's analogy, into sitting down in the battlefield of life. Here's what he says. He says, the Christian life is like standing at one end of a long, narrow street lined on both sides with two-story houses. Now, when he said this, I thought about the Las Vegas Strip. You're going down a road, and on either side is all these things, right? So you can play with that, too. At the other end of the street stands Jesus Christ, okay? And as we walk towards him and grow in maturity, we grow in maturity. There is absolutely nothing in the street which can keep us from reaching Jesus. Nothing. There's no You're just cruising on down, Okay? <laughs> He says, but since this world is influenced by Satan, the row of houses, the things on either side of the Las Vegas Strip there, he says, on either side are inhabited by beings committed to keeping us from growing strong. So they hang out the windows and they call to us. Hey, look over here. I got something you really want. Or hey, try this, man. There's nothing wrong with this. Or, or no, no, they say something like, hey, you worthless idiot. Boy, you failed big time. God can't use you now. He says, and even though these voices, they have no real power to block our path, we can just keep on moving forward, right? That's all it is, is lies. He says, they have no power to block our path. The strategy, unfortunately, works too well. You see, many Christians, he says, treat life's journey like a stroll through a shopping mall instead of a race through a battlefield. And instead of staying focused on Jesus Christ, they give in to window shopping at the enemy's stores. And the longer they linger, the easier it is for Satan to keep them from running to Christ. The whole tactic is to simply get our eyes off of Jesus, slow down, sit down, stop, and if possible, give up on our journey to Jesus Christ. It's an illusion. I, we left off this last time, but I want to belabor this because I really think this is where the enemy will take even us true born-again Christians who do love Jesus. And when we do, unfortunately, blow it. He moves in with these lies and he tricks us into disengaging. I, I just can't serve. I just, yes! Get up and keep moving forward. Stop calling God a liar. 
Take him at his word. I didn't say it. Praise God he said it. If we confess, he is faithful. He is just. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's awesome stuff. Okay? But let's uh, continue on. Anyway. um, Yeah, real quick. Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm actually glad you said that because it jogged my memory back when I first got saved. When I first got saved, and you guys, I just shared my testimony again, uh, uh, there for probably the first good six months, three months, whatever, uh, I was plagued with my behavior, okay? I knew that God had forgiven me, but I, and I didn't tell you guys everything, and I was just a nasty guy, okay? Uh, anyway, and so... And so what the enemy would do the first several months of being saved, he'd bring that back up. And he, I, I knew, I knew in my heart that Jesus had totally forgiven me, but he'd bring it back up. And I was really struggling with that. So I'd be having a great time with Jesus. And all of a sudden, here come that memory of what I did to that person or whatever. And, you know, just, just instantly that, that, and anyway, so finally, here's what I must, I believe it was the Lord leading me in this direction. Uh, uh, I had a, um, a friend, he, he talked about, he gave an analogy of a judo chop, and I don't know anything about karate or judo or any of that stuff, and, and, uh, but he says uh, apparently in judo that one of the techniques is what you do is the whole premise is you use the force of the, your opponent against them. So if they come charging at you, you don't sit there and take them head on and take the brunt. You just step aside and take their momentum and shove them down. And so you use the force of the opponent against them. And so that, that analogy went through my brain. And so all, I got into this spiritual habit. Every time the enemy reminded me of my past and the things that I did, even the sins I did, I, it may, I turned it into a spiritual exercise. It forced me to go, hey, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of that sin. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I just do that. And it took a little while uh, to get into that habit. But here's the good news. I kept that up you know, by the grace of God, and uh, during that period, and he's, he's still hounding you, but I seriously, every time, he could have done it 50 times a day, 50 times a day, I'd say, praise God, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me that sin, and here's what it was doing, it was constantly reminding me of the goodness of Jesus, it was constantly reminding me of my complete forgiveness that I have in him, and I was getting excited about it, and what happened was, it was actually encouraging me in my walk with Jesus Christ, now here's what I noticed, I used his force against him, what he meant for evil, it became a wonderful reminder of how great Jesus is, and I was getting excited about it. And then, guess what? That's when he quit. Because it was actually, I turned it around, it was edifying my walk with Jesus. <laughs> Bring it on. What other one did I do that I can say, praise God? You know what I'm saying? And that's when he quit. So it's kind of the same thing. Let's continue on. <clears throat> Why do we confess? The Greek term, top of page 81, in the above passage translated fellowship as koinonia, Okay? And uh, koinonia, which indicates the setting aside of private interest and desires and the joining with another or others for common purposes, okay? So fellowship with God is accomplished when we what? 
put aside our interests and desires. Now, isn't that the big deal? You want to have fellowship with God? You got to put the stuff aside, okay, is what's going on there. So fellowship with God is accomplished when we put aside our interests, our desires, and daily live out our lives, fulfilling our Father's interests and desires. You get it? It's the great exchange. It's a surrender. Do we profess Christ or have we surrendered to Christ? Sometimes I think that, I'm not saying people aren't born again by just making a profession of faith because it's truly by faith. But have you ever been to that point where even after maybe you've been saved and God brings you to a point where you really surrender? And that's when man, bang, you take off like a rocket. That's what he's talking about, man. You want intimacy with God? Don't just make this profession. Get down there and surrender and say, not my life, not my will, but yours be done. What do you, this, is, what do you, this is your day. What do you want me to do? You know what I'm saying? That's where it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Uh, John's talking here about the Christian's walk is your next blank there, and fellowship, your next blank there, within the family of God. Okay? He's dealing with our experience and not our position. Okay? Fellowship with the family of God, he's dealing with our experience, not our position before God. Now, that's what we saw before. That's why the screen's been wiped out and the movie isn't going to be playing, so to speak, is because when you become a born-again Christian, we saw before the New Testament term is a saint. You become a saint. You don't become a saint just because the Catholic Church decided to honor that upon you and decree that upon you after you've been dead for 100 years and de determinative upon your deeds. No, every born-again Christian is a saint. It's the Greek word hagios, which means holy one. Okay, that's how God sees us. Okay, had a person had a question this week. It was kind of a cool question. If, if you know, says, can God... Uh, look upon sin. Well, and I know where they were going with that because the issue is uh, 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 people say, well, God can't look upon sin. And well, technically, yeah, because he's omnipresent. He sees everything. The word that's used there that you're that being quoted is he can't look upon it with approval. Okay, is what's going on there. All right? So because the thing is, if he can't look upon sin and yet we as New Testament born again Christians sin, how can he, we have this intimacy with him? Read the context, understand the word that's going on there. Don't take it out of context. It's look upon it with approval, obviously. Okay, but that's the good news. How can he have intimacy with this right now, right now, right now, even though we still blow it right now? How can he do that? Because he doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. He's got those rose-colored glasses on, and all he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ. And all he can see when he looks at you and I is Jesus Christ. How much does he love and accept his son, Jesus Christ? That's how he loves and accepts us. So that's the positional truth, okay? And again, that's not what we're talking about. Praise God for that. Now we're talking about that experiential truth of intimacy, walking daily with him uh, in intimacy, okay? It's never in, in uh, dealing with our salvation, our position. Our position before God, before God is secure because of our imputed, credited righteousness from Christ, but our fellowship with the Father in our daily walk is dependent upon what? Walking in the light. Can I translate that for you? What he says to do. Because, again, what he tells us is always good and always good for us and always right. Okay? To walk in the light is not to become sinless. That would uh, consist of becoming the light. Okay? Walking in the light is responding to and being guided by the light. Okay? And God is that light. So, in other words, whatever he says, do it. That's walking in the light. In a practical way, it means that when the light, which God is, shines into the heart, listen, and reveals sin or darkness that is there, we absolutely deny it. No. We rationalize it. No. What's he say? 
you know, you got to deal with it. It's judged. It's put away by his grace and power. You confess it. Okay? This conception is in harmony with verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, walking in the light means that when we do something opposite to the light, God's truth, we admit it. That's your word, homologeo. We're saying the same thing. God already knows about it. You're right, God. I'm not excusing this away. I'm not saying that was, I'm not trying to, you know, that's just a small lie. That's just a white lie. Or that's, everybody does that. That's no big deal. No, I'm saying the same thing. I'm homologeo. You already, you really think we can ever fool God? Yeah, thank you for that correct answer. Uh, (laughs) We admit it and we do not lie about it before God, saying we have no sin. That's not a sin. That's a small one. That's, That's not that big. It's, no, it's sin. Okay. Confession restores our fellowship with the Father. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist communicates the process of our confession and restoration beautifully. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Charles Ryrie says, if we need uh, one idea to describe the result of all personal sins, it would be the loss of fellowship. Again, intimacy. The believer who has been brought into the fellowship of God's family loses the enjoyment of that fellowship when he sins, okay? He is not expelled from the family, though he may lose some of the privileges of being in the family. That's called church discipline, okay? When he confesses and is forgiven, he's what? All discipline is for the purpose of restoration, right? And for the person's good, okay? And coming back into fellowship. He's restored to fellowship. The remedy is what? Forgiveness, okay? For the believer, that forgiveness restores the enjoyment of fellowship in the family of God. Family forgiveness restores the temporary broken relationship within the family. Now, this is the story I didn't get to share last time, even though I talked about with Corey Ten Boom, uh, but I didn't get to share the actual encounter she had. Uh, Let me just read that for you. Because again, we're talking, can you imagine if every Christian, even here in Sunrise, not only uh, we, we, we worked at this issue of having a clean heart with God, I think that's a given, I would hope, Okay, but man, we, we work just as diligently to make sure we got a clean heart between our fellows, brothers and sisters in Christ. I think revival would break out if we did something like that. Because listen, this is the power of forgiveness. Okay, here's what she says. Years after her concentration camp experiences in Nazi Germany, Corrie Ten Boom met face-to-face with one of the most cruel and heartless German guards she had ever contacted. He had, hum- and oh, by the way, this was after she got done speaking on the issue of forgiveness. He comes up down the aisle. A setup from God. Okay, he had humiliated and degraded her and her sister. He had jeered and visually raped them as they stood in the delousing shower. And now he stood before her, right down there, as she got done speaking, with his hand outstretched, and he said, "Fraulein, would you forgive me?" Wow. She said, "She and she writes." She said, "I stood there with coldness, clutching at my heart, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So I prayed, Jesus, help." Woodenly, she said, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me, and she said, I experienced an incredible thing. The current started into my shoulder, raced down into my arms, and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes, and she said, I cried with my whole heart, I forgive you, my brother. And she said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She said, listen, I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. 
And then here comes the phrase I shared last time. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize the prisoner was you. What keeps Christians back in their walk with Jesus Christ? What keeps churches back in doing great things for Jesus Christ? Maybe Christians need to confess some sin, not just with God, but with each other. And they need to do what she did and forgive and set this church free. Wow, what a neat thing. Hey, let's continue on. Uh, Zane Hodges has this to say about confession. Uh, what is considered in 1 John 1, 9 may be described as familial forgiveness. It is perfectly understandable how a son may need to ask his father to forgive him for his faults, while at the same time his position with the family is not in jeopardy, right? Okay, okay, and that's the same thing. A Christian who never asked forgiveness for his sins can hardly have such sensitivity to the ways in which he grieves his father, okay? And again, we grieve our father God not only when we sin, but when we sin by refusing to get right with our fellow brother in Jesus Christ. That's a sin. You can't escape it. Pray that God would bring to mind a unconfessed sin. And again, I'm going to take a little detour. I hope it really doesn't get to that. I'm not saying that times that you're always going to remember everything and that's not a good thing to do. But I hope that we're not so, uh, our timing is so sporadic and lengthy in between times of confession that we actually have to do that on a regular basis. I would hope, as we saw before, to me, what's better if you want to appreciate and have more of that joy on a continual basis, remember, so our joy may be complete, is that you have and work at this clean heart is you confess the moment it happens. Don't wait till it piles up and go, man, I don't know, it's been seven months now since I, God, would you please bring to mind any unconfessed, what in the world are you doing waiting seven months? What are you doing waiting seven hours? You're at work, man, go in the bathroom, get on your knees, cry out to God, would you please forgive me? Do it all the time myself. I don't care where I'm at. Because your heart is just like, oh, I can't. And the joy, it's a little bit more on a continual basis. Okay, again, this is so our joy may be complete. Any unconfessed sin in your life and confess it before moving on. Thank God for the provision of his son on the cross that made your forgiveness possible. The guilt will be lifted and you will again be walking in the light in God's truth. Remember, that's the important point. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I don't care if that's the 178th time I did that. I'm going to do what the scripture says. I, I don't want to do that. God knows my heart. Uh, I, and, but I did it, so I confess it. Listen, get up and keep moving forward. Even if it's the 178th time, don't get tricked into stopping on the battlefield. We have got a job to do. Every hand is needed on deck. Confess sins uh, quickly. We'll close. Top of page 82. When do we confess? That's kind of what I just talked about. First John 1 John 1.9. Uh, the verb translated confess in the Greek. The tense there implies continuous action. Okay, because some people say, well, you just need to confess your sin one time and never have to do it because it's a positional truth. Yes, it is a positional truth. But the verb says continual. And we're talking about a relational truth, not a positional truth. Thus, we are to be continually confessing our sins as, listen, this is what I just said, as they occur. Don't let them stack up, okay? When we are walking in fellowship with God, we cannot be walking in the darkness. The result of being in darkness is not practicing the truth. Thus, the way to stay in the light and in fellowship with God is by confessing our sins as soon as, as soon as your next two blanks, as soon as we do anything that we know is against God's word or anything that the Holy Spirit convicts us is wrong. Confess the sin immediately and you will again be walking in the light and having sweet fellowship with your heavenly father. I've done so many funerals, got another funeral coming up. I've dealt with people there dying literally on their deathbed. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought I'd be in that predicament, okay? 
I've gone through, you, you know me personally, I have been literally, this might sound kind of macabre or something, but praise God for doing so many funerals. That sounds weird. Let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> it has radically changed me. Pastor Jim, I'm sure it's done the same thing. How could you not be changed? When, see, if you're not in that, that position, you go to a funeral just once in a while when some loved one or friend dies, right? But doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you know the lesson that it sends to me? Number one, keep short accounts with God. Number two, keep short accounts with people because it ain't worth it. And how many times dealing with people on their deathbed, crying tears of regret because their family members are still estranged from one another because they refuse to ask for forgiveness, they did not reconcile, and now it's too late and they're dying. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with other people. It's not worth it. Get that clean heart on a continual basis. If you mess up, man, just confess it. I wish I had a button and I can control somebody else's behavior so that they respond to their request of forgiveness, but I can't do it. But my heart has to be right between me and God. And if he tells me to do it, I've got to do what I can do. I wish they would respond. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. I'm not condoning it, but that's between them and God. Okay, let's close it up. What about forgiving one another? In Christ's Sermon on the Mount, he reveals the importance of forgiving one another. In this interesting part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord declares that little things harbored often lead to terrible sin. Think about this. This is amazing. The little thing like anger. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I just really can't stand that person. Well, you let that fester. Here's what he says. You do that against a brother may very well lead to murder. You ever think about that? Somewhere at some point, uh, somebody got so mad at somebody else, they ran away with that sin and committed murder. That's where it started, right? He says, and, and likewise, a little thing uh, like a brother having something against you leads to a loss of fellowship. Yeah, I know, you know, uh, Joe Smith here at Sunrise. Uh, <laughs> boy, man, we got into it the other day, but oh, well. Uh, no, uh, that's going to lead to a loss of fellowship with your what? Did you see what we started off with? I'm telling you, it's not just an issue with God. You got to get right with man. And if you don't, it's going to still come back and get you. That's how important this is. You can't escape it. Indeed, so important is it to have things right between members of the family of God that this takes precedence over giving a gift to God. Well, that's not a big deal. I, I give to the church. I serve. I help. I'm over there helping out with Awana. I'm doing all this stuff behind the scenes. I mean, hey, when the doors are open, I am there. But did you get right with your brother? You need to, in fact, it's so urgent. Stop doing that. Don't help out with Juana. Don't be here when the doors are open. You got to get over there and get right with your brother. That's the urgency that he's talking about. And this is from Jesus, okay? This is the passage we saw before with Matthew 5. He says, it takes precedence over giving a gift to God. Now, how far reaching this pre uh, a precept is for it's not a matter of the sinning brother admitting his wrong before there can be reconciliation. If you, apparently innocent in the matter, Remember that somebody else has something against you, even unjustly so. It's your responsibility to go to him and seek a reconciliation is your blank there. Most of us operate on the principle that if the person in the wrong should take the first step, uh, and if he doesn't, then we have no obligation in the situation. Not so said the Lord. Okay? You must show the forgiving spirit by going to him and trying at least to make things right. I have a phrase, and it's this. Somebody has to be the Christian. I wish we all would. That's what we profess. But if that person's not going to do it, and you know there's something going on, somebody's got to be 
the Christian. And that's what Jesus says, okay? You must show forgiving spirit by going to him and trying to make things right. Otherwise, your service, listen, and worship to God, what's it say there? Will be affected adversely. Good relationships with the Father, okay, depend on good relationships with his children. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay? The, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission... That's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart, you wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. 
The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.